seat it, turn now to the little book of Obadiah. Obadiah. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find this on pages 1249 and 1250. The book of Obadiah, 1249 and 1250. entirety. Hear now the word of God. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord, come to you. If robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape-gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, as hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Eden and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty man, O man, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. Even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity. Nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. 
For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be hosts of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Well, beloved people of God, we now come to the second of this two-part series on this little book of Obadiah, the smallest book of the Old Testament, in which the prophet proclaims the destruction of proud Edom and the ultimate exaltation of the house of Jacob. The prophet proclaims the destruction of proud Edom and the ultimate exaltation of the house of Jacob. Now, as we noted last week, Edom is also known as by the name Esau, who, of course, was the twin brother of Jacob. And that's going to be a very important, if you will, with regard to this. Um, Edom, as we mentioned last week, was 110 miles long by 30 miles wide. Uh, it's about 3,000 square miles. So this is to the east of the Jordan River and to the east of, of uh, the Dead Sea. There was, uh, there, from pottery sherds that have been discovered, uh, there's some indication of the wealth and also the developed culture of the Edomites. Now, we're not sure exactly when the book was written, maybe the 6th century B.C., around 587, or quite possibly a couple hundred years before that, but it's not important to know the precise date in order to get the basic message here. Now, last week, we looked at the sins, we looked at the sins of the Edomites, verses 3 and 4. It, was, it lifted them up. They were basically saying, who can bring us down to the ground? Uh, we, we are up here in this, in this area that is in like an impregnable fortress. And so there's this pride, even as we see a pride, other nations have, have shown that pride in the past. Uh, whether we look at World War II in terms of Germany and Italy and Japan, whether we look indeed at the United States of America today in terms of its own pride as we are set for a fall, no question. 
but not only the, the pride, but then also the cruelty to God's people. Notice how I said it. It wasn't just the cruelty to those that were, they were related to. It talks about violence against your brother Jacob. But the point here is that there's this animosity, there's this enmity between the house of Esau and the house of Jacob. That is to say, between those who are of the world, who reject Yahweh, reject Jehovah, reject the Lord, and ultimately reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and those that are following the Lord and submissive to him. And so the cruelty then to God's people, verses 10 through 14. And so as a result of this, there is judgment. There is judgment. This is determined by the Lord. Verse 1, we've heard a report, a rumor from the Lord. That is to say, there's been this announcement, if you will, that is demanding to be heard, in which he's going to employ the nations against Edom to destroy it. And there's going to be a certain success in this war. Edom is small and greatly despised, verse 2. <clears throat> a lot of barren mountains there. There's going to be a paying back for the pride, verses 3 and 4. In other words, the idea here is <clears throat> God is going to pay them back. You're so, you think you're so high, you think you're such great stuff. Actually, you're going to be brought very low. And... Uh, notice the exclamations in verses 5 and 6. How art thou cut off? How art the things of Edom searched out? And even in verse 7, we see the betrayal by the former allies, the men of their confederacy, those that they are confederated with, that they were allied with. And as uh, Mar Matthew Henry said, as we noted, trusting in creatures that are frail fickle, and false. And that's always not a good thing to do. Even the wise men would be destroyed, verse 8. The mighty men would be destroyed, verse 9. Timan, which was one of the major cities there, indeed, everyone will be slaughtered, and there will be total annihilation, verse 10. Not only being covered with shame, but also cut off forever. We know that Edom, as, an, as a nation, was totally, ultimately was totally annihilated and disappeared from world history. Notice the manifestation of vengeance in verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> your reprisal shall return upon your own head. As you've done, it shall be done to you. So you do these cruel actions, guess what? you're going to be subject to the same sort of thing. Verse 16, for as you drank on my holy mountain, as you were in a boastful sort of way, you're drinking on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. And so what they end up drinking ultimately, as in Psalm 75, is from the winepress of God's wrath. And they'll drink to the dregs, you see. The bitterness of it. The horrible nature of it. Which ultimately, of course, is the judgment of hell. 
<clears throat> now, I have an application from this, these uh, first two points here, the sins and the judgment. And it is this. Don't think that you can hide from judgment. Don't think that you can hide from judgment. You see, Edom thought that its fortresses were impregnable, couldn't be... The, uh, what, is, what became the city of Petra, P-E-T-R-A, Petra, you can look at it today, and, uh, you know, it's, there's nothing there. Uh, I mean, it's just totally desolate at this point. But you can sense, you can sense by looking at it, the, the, um, the nature of it, including how difficult it would have been to have defeated it. It, it was in rocky terrain with narrow passes and deep caves. How could anyone conquer them? How could an enemy search out all the crevices, all the clefts, and all the hiding places? Invading armies had to trudge up through oppressive heat without much food or water. The Edomites would be able to retreat to cool caves with huge cisterns of water filled in the rainy seasons. A Petra was reachable only by means of a narrow canyon with walls that went up 200 to 250 feet in the air. Okay? Uh, yet, its military might, its wealth and culture, its industrial strength, its agricultural acumen, ability, its cleverness in diplomacy, its craftiness in commerce and trading, its strategic place, none of it could prevent its downfall. And as I suggested a moment ago, my friends, do not think that we, the United States of America, are immune to that. We are ripe for God's judgment to be poured out on us. Do not think that, you are in, that we are impregnable, that we can never be conquered. And don't think that you can hide then from judgment. How many times have we seen throughout history that impregnable defenses fall prey to attack? If someone wants to get you, chances are that ultimately you will be gotten. Therefore, my friends, the only sure refuge is the Lord. This is true with regard to our enemies in this life. It is true with regard to eternal salvation. You cannot hide from judgment. All that you can do is to hide in the shadow of the Almighty rather than the cliffs of Petra. So, with that as application, now let's move on to the third major point. Having seen the sins and the judgment, we now look at deliverance for God's people. Deliverance for God's people. Notice verse 17. Verse 17, there is the promise of deliverance. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. Zion, Mount Zion, this is the way we often uh, refer to it, sort of a... Um, a term of affection, if you will, for Jerusalem. 
and a term of affection, of course, for the people of God. Notice that they, there shall be deliverance, there shall be escape. Escape. This is a type of, a, a symbol of redemption from sin. So it's not just escape from the, the natural enemies, if you will, but rather there shall be deliverance, there shall be escape from the, from the wrath of God that was being talked about in verse 16. There will be escape, there will be deliverance for those that belong to Christ. And that, not only will there be deliverance, but as we go on in verse 17, notice that we read, and there shall be holiness. Now, sanctification or holiness characterizes our salvation. Sanctification means to be set apart for God's service. Holiness, ultimately, it's not just being morally good, although certainly that is true, but the basic understanding of holiness is that of being separate, being separated from the world and being separated unto God. And so we are then a holy people. We are a holy people. We have a holy book, the Bible. We have a holy Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. And what God is doing here is, is that he is celebrating his covenant with his people. He's celebrating his covenant, which he says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. I shall be your God and you shall be my people. Remember, my friends, there is no salvation apart from holiness. There is no salvation apart from holiness. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. God says that if that there, that, uh, that there is without holiness, Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so we have this idea then of sanctification, of holiness, as part of the promise of salvation. And notice that this is an all-encompassing thing. Those who belong to Jesus give up their all to him. And the nations bring their glory and honor into the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verse 24. Revelation 21, verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So we see, first of all, in terms of deliverance from God's people, the promise of salvation, verse 17. But now, secondly, we see judgment by means of God's people being as a fire and a flame, 
judgment by means of God's people being as a fire and a flame. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. So positively, first of all, when we think of the the house of Jacob as a fire and so forth, positively, we see that the gospel message burns through the hearts of men. It burns through our hearts, does it not? It burns out all the dross, all the, the deadness of sin and corruption. It purges and refines, just like putting, just like putting silver or gold into the fire in order to burn away the impurities. It burdened hearts. And so positively then, the gospel message burns through the hearts of men, but negatively, it consumes. Now, one of the um, one of the memory verses uh, that we have had recently has been from Hebrews 12:29, "For our God is a consuming fire." And so negatively, then, it consumes, it destroys those who are outside of Christ. Notice what it says here, "The house of Esau shall be like stubble." like stubble. That fire utterly consumes and destroys the house of Esau or of Edom. And this was fulfilled literally with regard to the nation of Edom. Over time, the Edomites were wiped out. The few who survived the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70 were absorbed into desert tribes, nomadic tribes in the desert. My friends, this is true. This is true with regard to all of the reprobate, all of those who are the rejected ones, all of those who reject God. As we read today from Malachi 4 and verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. And of course we find this in the New Testament as well. In a number of places. First of all, we could look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 2 and uh, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And Revelation 20, verse 15. Revelation 20 and verse 15. Revelation 20, 15, which says, and anyone not, well, in verse 14, then, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
And so we see then this judgment by means of God's people being as a fire and a flame. Um, But notice also that this will be the reunited people of God, the reunited people of God. It's not just, uh, as you read through this, you see, it's not just the house of Jacob, the southern tribes, but also the house of Joseph, the northern kingdom as well, Ephraim being the most populous. But what we especially want to note here, this is so important, I alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to emphasize it here. What we see at this point is a manifestation of the great divide between the saved and the lost. You remember when man sinned? You remember what God said when man sinned in Genesis chapter 3? And uh, he uh, pronounced uh, judgment against, uh, against mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, the first announcement uh, of the gospel. In Genesis chapter three, 3, we read, And I will put enmity, animosity, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So you have two great races, if you will, if we can put it that way. That is to say, the saved and the lost. And so those that follow the devil, those that follow Satan, are of the seed of the devil. Those that follow the Lord, of course, belong to Christ. And we see this even from Genesis chapter 3, this warfare that goes on, this enmity. And therefore, this hatred of Jacob by Esau was not simply a natural squabble. It was religious in nature. That's the point. It was religious in nature. And in hating God's people, Edom was showing its hatred of God. Remember, my friends, this sovereignty, as Paul says in Romans 9, Jacob have I loved. But Esau, I have hated, even as we read from Malachi chapter 1 today as well. And so there is then this judgment by means of God's people being as a fire and a flame, reflective, of course, of the fact that it is God who's bringing that judgment. Well, as we continue to look at deliverance for God's people, we see verses 19 and 20 the possession of the land. Notice that those from the south, from the Negev, that is to say that desert area, shall possess Esau, Philistia, and the northern tribes, Ephraim and Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, the Transjordan. The Canaanites, uh, even to Zarephath, Uh, shall be possessed, their land shall be possessed, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is taken to Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. Now, Sepharad, we're not exactly sure where it is. It probably, though, was to the far north of Assyria. So, let's talk about, I'm going to 
draw with my hands here on the uh, a, a map here. So here's the Mediterranean Sea over here to the west. Here's the coastline of the Mediterranean. And uh, up here would be uh, would be um, Phoenicia, what is today the country of Lebanon. And then you come down the coast. As you come further down the coast, uh, you've got Philistia. You remember like Goliath of the Philistines? So you've got Philistia down here. A bit to the east, you have Judah and Israel. Of course, the Dead Sea, or the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. And up to the north and the east is where Assyria would be. So hundreds of miles away then, the city of Sepharad, the city of Sepharad, that those who were taken captive and went all the way to the far north of Assyria come back, and those who return will re-inhabit the cities from which they were taken. Now, my friends, this is a reference, as commentators have noted, this is a reference to the spiritual spread of the gospel. Israel never possessed all of the territory that is listed here. And therefore, what Obadiah is doing, he's not simply saying in terms of of the Jews and in terms of the, the land of Palestine, he's saying that ultimately all the earth, you see, is going to belong to Christ and his kingdom. For all things belong to Christ. And so Obadiah then is prophesying of the coming of the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of Messiah. And that leads us finally then in terms of the spiritual significance in verse 21. Saviors, we we read here, saviors who will judge. And this is kind of an interesting phrase. I thought we had only one Savior, the Lord Jesus. And in the ultimate sense, that is true. But these are, in a, in a secondary sense, they are saviors. It's plural, so we know there's more than one. These are deliverers. And how do they deliver? Because they are messengers who are sent by the Lord. And so these are saviors who will judge. They judge. How do they judge? They judge through the negative proclamation of judgment to those who do not believe, but at the same time, in pronouncing that judgment, they also, they also show the positive side, and that is the deliverance. Notice the very end of it, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's, for indeed all things belong to Christ. I have three points of application today, and the first is this. Rejoice, rejoice that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Rejoice that we have a more sure word of prophecy. I mentioned that Obadiah is the shortest book of the Old Testament, one of the shortest of the Bible. Now think just for a moment what it would be like if Obadiah is all the portion of Scripture that you had. Just think what that would be like. If that, but of course, we have much more than that. Even, of course, this small portion 
is of comfort as well as conviction. We see the gospel here. We understand something of the the good news that Jesus brings to us. But even in this small portion, but my friends, now we have such an abundance of God's word. And so rejoice that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Indeed, this is an argument, is it not, for us to be faithful in reading the Bible as a whole. Secondly, not only rejoice, but secondly, be thankful. Be thankful that there will be a triumph over the nations. Be thankful that there will be a triumph over the nations. Those who oppose the Lord's Christ will be cast into hell. But there will be those among the nations that are currently in rebellion. There will be those among the nations who will, by God's grace, have their hearts conquered by him and by his grace. And of course, you see this played out, interestingly, in the book of Acts. In terms of the nations that are mentioned in Obadiah. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 40 and chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, we have Philistia mentioned there. In terms of of, uh, uh, Philip, for example, uh, being a a baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. And then chapter 9 in terms of Peter going down to Joppa. Samaria is uh, alluded to in uh, chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. And again, uh, Phoenicia in chapter 11 of Acts. And so be thankful, you see. There will be a triumph over the nations, but not just in terms of judgment, but in terms of mercy, as God conquers by means of his grace. Be thankful for that. And thirdly, finally, let me ask you today, what is your relationship to Christ's kingdom? What is your relationship to Christ's kingdom? Is Christ your king? Are you part of his kingdom? My friends, that can be only if you are trusting in his blood. And so I point you to the Lord Jesus Christ today, which the book of Obadiah points to as well. For you see, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would take this word and would apply it to our hearts and would enable us, O God, to live lives in such a way as to bring honor and glory to Christ. We thank thee, Father, uh, for the message of Obadiah. We thank thee for this servant of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful by thy grace to the message which he and which these saviors, these proclaimers of that message, would bring to us today. So be pleased to do all of these things for the glory and honor of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In closing, please turn to Psalm...